of the tape for this, our main event of the evening. We introduce the champion, Chris, the West Side Strangler Brennan. Let's get it all! All right, guys, we are here with Sean Patrick Flannery. Um, off the top, couple things. Boondock Saints, Powder, um, wrote a novel, right? Uh, Jane 2. Also, one of my favorite movies that uh, you, you had sent to me early on and, and brought some tears to my eyes watching it because I related so much is uh, Born a Champion, right? That, that movie was uh, – I watched that movie alone, thank goodness, and I was just like – it was kind of had that – I don't know if you've ever seen Southpaw, but Southpaw mm-hmm. – because there was so many ups and downs, I watch that movie and I'm just an emotional wreck the whole time I watch it. And and that was the same watching uh, Born a Champion. I was just like, oh man, this is great, you know. And it just hit so many different ways. And uh, yeah, well, I'm flattered, brother. You, you know, I, I think if, if you remember when I sent it to you, I don't know if I included this, but certainly my thought was, if there is any any template for this character. It'd be like a Chris Brennan, an original American, one yeah. of the first Americans to actually not only get into jiu-jitsu, but fighting. It's, uh, so, you know, to say you were a little bit of a catalyst for that film, is uh, it's, not, it's not far from the mark, man. Yeah, well, that might be why it, it hit the way it hit. Yeah. It was, it's, yeah, super good. If you haven't seen it, please, you know, I see appreciate it, it man. Um, I don't know if you remember the first time we met, and I believe it was the first time we met. In a high school gym where you had uh, your no-gi brand i remember brother and we hooked you up with some shorts yep. yeah, I, the, those brown and white shorts yeah. man were, i was about to ask you if you still have no i sold it to budo videos no and shit. so budo still has it and they still they still sell Damn, stuff the, you, and, you gave me a brown and white pair this is my yeah. favorite pair of shorts and i'll tell you outside my academy you know because we're all pigs yeah. uh, you know sometimes I'd, I'd, I'd train and then I'd leave my gi out in, on a picnic table in the sunshine and I'd do the same thing with my nigga. and a motherfucker stole those shorts oh man <laughs> yeah man that's rough somewhere out in LA there's a dude running around with some uh, some uh, no gi board shorts I've got a few pair of certain things left but my the guy who I started with Jeremy is one of my best friends he uh, he's got one of everything like he's is he's held right? on to one of everything that's cool and man. Uh, now fortunately the guy's Budo Dave and Jake send me stuff every time something new comes out. That's I, I cool, get it, man. You know, it's part of the part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're they're awesome. So uh, it kind of like went went. They didn't do anything with it for a little while, and then it's you know they started doing it again. And I, now when I run around teaching seminars, I see people wearing the gear at the seminars, and I'm like, sweet, you know, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah, man. that day is uh, the the first time. I think it was the first time I met you. Yep. And uh, it was. It was cool. I was like, yes, here's some shorts. Have these. <laughs> so how long have you been training? You know, I don't know the exact date. Maybe you can help me with this. Um, Hickson, it was, it was right when Hickson closed the Pico Academy. It had to be 99, maybe as late as 2000, but one of those years. Um, and crazy, you know, you, you, you never know what something's going to be in your life. I, I certainly knew... My, my granddaddy, I was in Prague, Czechoslovakia. My granddaddy sent me a VHS tape of, v, of UFC 1. And nice. he's like, you need to watch this. And because uh, I was martial arts my whole life, you know. And um, so I knew I wanted to train jujitsu. And uh, Hickson had rented out some space at uh, Jerry Banks' uh, karate studio in uh-huh. the Palisades while uh, he was. Pacific Palisades location. Yeah. So my, my first class was at like his first class in the Palisades. Okay. You know, they came in, they started putting mats down, and I saw the patch on the bottom of the gi. 
and it said Gracie and then another probably some partner that's a plumber named Rickson I had no idea <laughs> you know, that's how so long ago it was all I know is hoist Gracie right and I said you know are you guys uh you guys affiliated with hoist Gracie He's like, yeah, you know, he's my like, brother. To him at that I point know, in time, huh? <laughs> I know. L- little do you know, you know, right. you're, I-, I was basically asking Michael Jordan if he knows the great David Jordan. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he threw me a gi and said, you know, put the gi, man. Tonight you train with us. I was like, is that is that okay? Can I, you know, and never look back. You know Henry Akins? Oh, yeah. His Henry's li- actually coming out here for our, uh, our 20, my, so NG's got a 25-year anniversary in April. And I've got a gym in Anna, and my guy just hit me up this morning because he was with Henry this weekend and said, hey, uh, Henry's coming out, you know, for the thing. I was like, sweet. So, yeah, he'll be out here. I haven't seen him in a while. I've, saw, I've seen him once or twice in between, but, but like, back in the day uh, when we were bad, me, Mark Lehman, uh, Henry, Matt, his little brother, yep. um, Mauricio Zangano, mm-hmm. we used to get in street fights all the time. Yeah. Like me and Henry probably been in 50 street fights together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I love Henry. Man, it, well, his little brother. Matt. I mean, Is I, it his I, little brother? I, he's smaller. I don't know if he's younger you're, or what. You're actually right. I think he's his older brother. Okay. I could be wrong. But I always consider him his little brother because he's smaller. Yeah. You know, Henry was a purple belt when I, my first class. And again, whatever that year is, whether it's 99, 2000, something like right, right when Hickson closed the Pico Academy. And uh, we did a little, tiny warm-up. And Hickson says, okay, pick somebody same size, same shape. We're going to do some spa. And I picked this dude across the mat because he was a blue belt. And I, I knew that that was the first colored belt you right. get. And I'll tell you, in, in taekwondo, first colored belt you get is yellow. If you put somebody against a yellow belt, I roll the dice. It, it's no, right. He, right. He's, you're probably he's better. He's in three months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a month and a half. And uh, I did it because Matt was... You know, he's buck 35 soaking wet. Mm-hmm. And I've always been about 167 my whole adult life. And I didn't do it to be a bully because I'd heard so many mystical stories about this. I thought, okay, if this dude can stalemate with me. Right. Holy shit, the clouds will open up and the, I'll see the truth. Right. Well, we all know how the story ends. You know, he arm locked, <laughs> took me, ba- took my back, straight ankle locked, knee barred me, comored me. Yeah. And I had, there, there was no part of me that had a recipe to defend anything that he was doing. I got comprehensively wrecked by Henry's little brother. And, you know, there's two types of people in the world. The type of person that says, well, you know, in a street fight, we had a groin shot and eye gouge. And the type of person that's like, no, 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 no. If yeah. I meet that dude in an alley, he's leaving with everything I hold valuable. Anytime I hear that, I was like, they can also groin strike you or eye gouge or yeah. bite you, but yeah. from a better position. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, that kind of how I, I watched UFC 1. I was literally training the next day. Yeah. Um, I was bouncing at a bar with Todd Medina, and, and there was another bar around the way that Chemo bounced at, and we were all buddies. And uh, they got in by UFC 3 and 5, and I didn't get in until 16, but we were training right after that. And I walked into you know a small place before going to the Gracie Academy and just like, yeah, I want to fight in the UFC. And, and honestly, in my head, I was, I was a bodybuilder. I was like 220. And, uh, oh, shit. Yeah, and I was like, I want to fight Hoist. You know, I want to I want to fight that guy. That dude that's winning. Yeah. Bring him to me. And then I and then I got rolled up by probably a blue belt. You yeah. know, quickly, and I was like, oh, I don't really I don't really want to fight that guy. I just want to fight. <laughs> I want to learn how to fight. You know. And then uh, from that point on, you know, I was I was hooked as well. It's humbling. My God, it's humbling, brother. I, but it's it's amazing because still, you know, tw- I've been trained twenty nine years. Twenty nine years. Twenty nine years later, I still have guys that come in that think they're gonna be something. 
And as soon as a little guy submits them, they're like, yeah, yeah, this is the gym for me. And they leave and they never come back. Yeah. And I know it. I'll, yeah. I'll tell my, my, my Lucas or Tyler or one of those guys, oh, you'll never see that guy again. Yeah. I can just tell. Yeah. And it's a bummer that everyone isn't chasing that. You know, if you can beat me, I'm going to come find you. Like, that's what I want. That's the guy I want to train with. You know, I want to train with a guy that can beat me. And, and, you know, most guys, I don't know if it's most guys, but a lot of guys will lose like that and that's their last day man i'll, I'll tell you, you one of the biggest allures to jiu-jitsu for me is that humbling experience i mean if somebody comes to me with something i don't have an answer for but i'll be honest with you as a man i can't sleep at night yep. knowing there's a 135 pound matt akins out there that can do anything he wants to me i can't sleep going okay i'm gonna go through life with my fingers crossed and hope i just don't cross somebody like that yeah so i had to immerse myself in it to learn this true true superpower because really it is growing up in, you know in the 70s and 80s it's like bruce lee if somebody had a black belt you could beat up 95 guys all at the same right. time that was just the, that was the, the you know the sure. common era of thought it was all bullshit but the first time some truth came out was in ufc one and you're like okay if you know that and somebody else doesn't it's a foregone conclusion yeah so once you find that as a martial artist to not embrace it wholeheartedly you're just delusional. Yeah. So it's it's always shocking to me when somebody comes into the academy, and you know, no, no, nobody's a bully. I'm sure nobody's a bully here. But if they roll and they get finished or you know dominated, that that they don't go. I need this, and they leave. It's it's bizarre to me. But there's two kind of two different kind of people in the world. The bullies that I've had are not here. You know, they they end up phasing out real fast. It's it's like oil and water. I find that you get like the the quiet, humble, kind of weak guy and the arrogant guy in jiu-jitsu does this. Raises this guy's confidence, brings this guy down to yep. you know some humility, and it, it levels the playing field for everybody and kind of it makes everyone a better person. You're and, absolutely right. And, and it's, so, uh, it's so amazing to, like, I told a story a lot of times, like Lucas lost a jiu-jitsu match to Roberto Jimenez, right, when they were real young. Yeah. Bro, I messaged that kid. We got in the car, we drove to Houston and did a private and trained with him. Yeah. You know, Tyler lost a wrestling match to a kid, Parker Decker, and, and uh, for senior year, this kid was 6A, we were 5A, so I messaged that kid, we went and wrestled with him twice a week until state, and then at state championships, Tyler won and, and Parker Decker won side by side at the exact same time, we're just like, That's you know, it was like, killer, man. But, but you want to find that, and, and they are like, yeah, I guess, you know. I guess I'll go with the guy that just beat me, but went there and wrestled, and it raises the level of both guys. And and sure enough, you know, it worked out. But I think you should always find that humility, and 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 it is talking about like Bruce Lee back in the day. It is not fair if you know jujitsu and the other guy doesn't. Yeah, you know, if he's never seen it before, like it's 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 a it's a it's not fair. <laughs> well, I always tell people there's only one thing in the entire UFC that if you don't know it, you're going to get wrecked. Yeah. There's only one. You can do it without Muay Thai if you have Western boxing. The Diaz brothers, you know, you can do it without a lot of different things. There's different versions that'll get you by, but if you don't know any jujitsu, yep. you're gonna get demolished by somebody that's a blue belt. Yeah, I mean, I my UFC fights were as a blue belt. I was a blue belt when I was fighting in the UFC. Yeah, and and I wasn't like I was a pro boxer and a wrestler with jujitsu. I was literally a blue belt in jujitsu that did some boxing privates. Yeah, you know, and that was it. And uh, I fought. Militech three times, you know, as a blue belt, mm -hmm. and and he was this really good wrestler and boxer, you know, and uh, it, it wasn't until later that I progressed, you know, and, and got higher level belts. But back then, blue belt was enough. It was, you know, yeah. it was enough. You, you know, in the land of the blind, one-eyed man's king, and a blue belt. You know, if, if nobody else has any, 
no yeah it's it it really is uh i I try to tell people in in other sports that have asked me like you know what are the chances that i can i can kick your ass i'm like zero bro yeah zero like what do you mean i was like well what are you good at what do you do every day whatever it is i can't beat you at that that's what you do every day i literally train every day now for 29 years to choke people, to not get choked, to armbar people, to not get armbarred. Like, what are you going to do to me? And you're training that against people who are spent still 20 years yeah. trying to defend it. And yeah. you can still do it on them. Yeah. What do you think the odds are that yeah. I can't end on your back and choke you? Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, it's, 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 I tell them, if I'm looking that way and you blast me from the side, maybe you, maybe got, you a got a shot. You better hope that's the one. Yeah. You know, because I might fall down. And but if it doesn't render you me, completely unconscious, you. Yeah. Yes, you're gonna, yeah. it's still over. So it's. <laughs> I love, I love, uh, that's the main reason I wanted to get my kids involved and, and wrestling as well. But just to have that, you know, kind of safety net, no matter what. And I, the reason I got Luke started was because he was, he seemed like the type that would be able to get bullied, you know? And, and that's all I wanted was him to be able to defend himself. Yeah. And one day he was jogging to the car and four kids were walking this way. And this is early on. And they're like, run, Forrest, run, like making fun of him. Yeah. And he just kind of slowly turned the corner back to him. He goes, he goes, what? He goes, which one of you guys said that? And they're like, and he's like, turn around and walk back to the car. And I was like, who was that? Yeah. Like, who was that kid, yeah. you know? Blew my mind. Yeah. And, you know, from that that's point forward. That's a kid like, that knows he no longer has to take it. Yeah. That's who that is. And so it was great. Yeah. I was like, all right, it's, it's doing exactly what, uh, yeah. you know, what I wanted. So started training i guess it's been so so when you you said 2000 or uh, 1999 i trained so i trained at the gracie academy and then me uh, mark layman mauricio um a guy named avi rubin Lowell Lowell anderson Mm -hmm. we all left the gracie academy on the same day and opened beverly hills jiu-jitsu yep avi's this jewish guy had a bunch of money goes let's go open a gym opens up beverly hills jiu-jitsu this crazy building and starts bringing in you know uh mauricio maurice smith uh was that francisco vasconcelos no but he was that he came as well that guy was a savage yeah um um all all sorts of, of crazy good guys well hickson was like he, he talked to me and he's like hey what are you doing training there you know marco who is there he's a lucha lever guy you can't be there oleg Tokhtarov's there you know mark kerr like all these monsters were there yeah. you can't be there while i was still sucked in to the the gracie everything you know yeah. hicks and i watched choke a thousand times so that guy was a god to me yeah so i left there and started driving I, I moved back me and layman lived together in hollywood for a while but i moved back to orange county and i bought a motorcycle and i was driving back and forth every day to that pico location and i and i trained for almost a year and i never met hickson never saw him once you shouldn't yeah and and uh lemon i think was his lemon, name yeah he taught L- all Luis the time. yeah yeah he, he taught all the time um you know there's a, a handful of guys but i never saw him again after the first time and so I started training in South Orange County with Mark Eckert and Dave Kama. Of course. Both affiliated yep, with Hickson. Hickson. Yep. And they were right by me. So I got to go train with them. But they were a gi. And, and you know me. I, I wanted to fight, and I was fighting. And I just didn't – I was real early on of the, why do I want to wear this if I want to do this? Yeah. And so I opened my own gym as a blue belt. And a couple months later, six months later, it closed – I moved into my garage, built up to like 60 students, moved out of my garage into a building, and then from that point on, you know, it's no been shit. killing it. And and that's how I end up under Frangina, because Frangina came to, to America shortly after I came back from Brazil, and that's how my ranking, you know, yeah. went, went that way. But uh, 
So I did not, I, I had already left Hickson's when you started. Uh, so it had to be the, either the end of 99, beginning of 2000 when you it was started. One, it was one of those. And uh, I, I even asked Henry, and Henry's like, dude, brother, I don't remember what, yeah, I, you know, I, I uh, yeah. no telling. I, I, I want to say by the time he opened, Hickson opened his Barrington Academy, it had to be pretty close to 2001. Because I remember when 9-11 happened, it's like all the training stopped and uh, so 99, 2000, something around. And I wish I, I wish I kept a journal, you know, to, to, to where, I, you know, something stupid, but it, it means as much in my life and my kids' life now. Sure. I want to know if I start, what, did I start on a Tuesday? Right. Did I start, a, you know, I want to look back at that day and say, what was I doing professionally then? Was I filming this? Was I, where was I in my professional career that that completely took hold of my life and redirected it because it did right how old were you when you started acting out of college man out of college. i uh yeah i was going to university of st thomas and uh i was a business major with a focus on law and the most beautiful girl i'd ever seen at the time was leaving a building every monday morning so i did what any red-blooded texan does is he drops an english class and signs up for <laughs> whatever, whatever the fuck they're teaching in that building. That's not a joke, man. And it ended up being the theater department. And I just, I liked it. You know, gr growing up in junior high and in high school, the theater department was filled with kind of fruit loopy people. Right. Odd, 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 you know, Dungeons and Dragons. And it was more about this weird social culture than actually acting. Right. You know, uh, like everybody had eyeliner and capes and they called themselves different names and i just thought this is not this is not an activity it's a it sounds like 2022 yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, yeah it was and so i never really got into it even though i thought you know when you're in elementary school and you, you go you read a play everybody gets in a circle of the chairs and I, I was always one, one of the only people that like really tried to make the character believable and i thought this is fun man i like doing it and i thought i was good at it but university was the first time that now that i was in this classroom that i realized no these people are all it's all about acting. Like there's a, a, a bioengineer major, there's a political science major, there's an engineering major, there's a, and they're just doing it for the acting and the process. And, and I, I loved it. And I thought, man, I'm, I, I'm decent at this. So I wrote, wrote a piece of children's theater when I graduated and I drove out to LA not to be an actor because I thought, I don't know any, I don't know anybody in the industry so there's no nepotism to push, push me forward, but I knew I can write. So I thought I'll wait tables, I'll save my money and I'll produce this play. And so that's how I got into it. Lo and behold, an agent saw the play and suggested putting me, submitting me for some commercials. Then I got a string of those. Then she goes, let me submit you on some theatrical, which means TV film. And then I got Young Indiana Jones. So the writing took a back seat and the acting came to the forefront not you know very graciously you know but I, was, awesome. I didn't set out thinking i could do this you know i went in to be a writer right and then it just kind of grabbed me by the neck of the neck and threw me in a different direction was that fun to do the young indiana jones <laughs> brother was killer yeah. i mean i rode a horse to lunch you know <laughs> what i mean uh it was you know the cast of characters there you know indy's girlfriends were elizabeth hurley Catherine zeta jones um, oh, you struggling. Know, yeah, it was, it was horrible. Uh, Christopher Lee, Vanessa Redgrave, you know, and then there's some dude on the call sheet called Sean Patrick. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> you know, it was killer. I mean, how long did that go for? Man, we shot that for six years. Yeah, that's six awesome. years, and 
you know, not a lot of people watched it. Um, but George Lucas had Star Wars and Indiana Jones. He was kind of holding over Paramount's head. Hey, we'll do a part four, but you guys got to keep doing the TV show. Because he wanted, he wanted to do 52 episodes to educate, to put it in the school system, and so we did it. So it, it didn't stay running for that long on merit. Mm-hmm. It did because George said, nah, you can't cancel it, man. But I'm, you know, I'm grateful. Every door that's open to me today, the only reason I'm sitting here on your podcast is because I was in the film industry. Otherwise, I'd be some dude that did jujitsu, Probably, I, you know, an attorney somewhere or some crap that's, like that. That's the coolest part about your jiu-jitsu to me, though, is you have gone from white to black belt throughout doing all that. You know, like some people can only do jiu-jitsu and, and work their little job. But you're filming movies, you're filming, you know, doing all this stuff and training at the same time long enough to get your black belt. And, uh, and and still being successful, you know, it's it's I think that's awesome. Um, you see a lot of guys now, like actors, that are now getting into it. You know, Tom Hardy. Yeah. You know, uh, I think Keanu Reeves. But if you go back, when I was at the Gracie Academy, Ed O'Neill was there every morning. Yep. You know, Ed O'Neill was there all the time. And, yep. And uh, everyone's like, who's that? I was like, the guy with his hand in his pants on the couch. And I'm like, oh, you know, oh, Maryland shit. children. And uh, and he used to show up all the time during challenge matches and just kind of hang out in the corner with a hat on and watch yeah. the challenge matches. But he'd roll up in a Porsche at the back door, yeah. come in, do a private, and take off. Super cool guy. Yeah. But but there wasn't a lot of guys in that were acting in, in movies and stuff that were training. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you obviously were, were doing it way back then, so that's that's super cool. Um, so after after the young Indiana Jones, where'd you go from there? <clears throat> you know, then, you know, when it ended, I, the, the next big film I did was How old were you during that? Yeah, Power. I mean, I was old. I mean, you got to figure, I, I, you know, I, in October, I'll be 57. So, by the time Young Indy ended in 95, I was 30. Okay. So. You're playing a youngster. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, the pros and the cons. Back, back when I was in university, you know, you're, you're 20 years old. There's a hot 19-year-old. You're, and she's looking at you going, oh, my God, you're so cute. You're going to be so cute when you get older. You're like, baby, I'm 20 or 19. Let's do this. You know? <laughs> do you have any older brothers? You're like, come on. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> uh, but it, it uh. So I was a kid when I did all that, but uh, then Powder opened up some other doors for me, and you know, feature films came around. I got an opportunity to do other things. I, I never, I never had every one of my eggs in that basket. It just sort of kept building and building, and, and very grateful. Like I make a joke, I tell people I haven't had to get a real job in 30 years, and I mean that. Like a real job to me is something that you would not do unless somebody pays you. Right. I mean, I think I'm in the only industry known to man where people travel 3,000 miles away from home, get a roommate on Craigslist, and they're willing to do a job for free until somebody sees it and goes, you know what, you're so good at that, I'll pay you to do it. I mean, I'm not shitting you. I've dug ditches. I put culverts under driveways. I worked for Atlas Van Lines, moving pianos. All through high school, I I changed the deep fat fryer at Church's Fried Chicken, had a paper route when I was eight. You had to be 13 to have a paper route. So Johnny McNamara lived at a cul-de-sac. He was 13. So I knocked on his door. I said, hey, man, if you, I wanted a purple Nash skateboard. My granddad said, you got to save your money. So I got a paper route. And I went to him and I said, you know, I'll give you 20% of the money if you'll sign it up under your name and I'll throw the papers. <clears throat> so for five years, man, I threw papers and gave that motherfucker 20%. <laughs> I mean, the, like my parents, if, if somebody came, if I was 13 and my parents came, my parents would be like, motherfucker, you're throwing those papers. You ain't right. taking 20%. You know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> so I guarantee I blew by him on life's financial highway somewhere early <laughs> on. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I've, I've worked my whole life. 
So it, it's not lost on me that I'm, I'm very grateful for being able to do something that I would truly, more often than not, do for free anyway. Sure. Sure. And I still have the spare time to chase a huge passion of mine and obtain enough of it that I can now drip it down to my kids and give them something. Like, I'm not kidding. For, for, for you know, when you get my age, you start thinking about legacy and which one of my movies is, are my kids going to learn from? It's not movies. It's the martial art. Yeah. The most valuable thing I have to leave behind to my kids is jujitsu. And, you know, it's, uh, don't just listen to my words, look at my behavior. It's what I spend 90% of my time teaching my kids. You know, the lessons that we do on that red mat, our mat happens to be red, are a huge portion of what will be in el- in indelibly imprinted on their soul, you know, and I'm grateful for it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, same with me. Yeah. Same with me, man. Yeah. That's, that's what I've got to leave. I, I dropped out of high school in ninth grade. I, was, yeah. I don't think I was 15 years old yet. I was getting in all sorts of trouble, 15, 16, 17. Um, started bodybuilding shortly after that and then was bouncing and at 21 started jiu-jitsu and then you know by the time I was 22 I was fighting and uh, that was literally all I had let me let, 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 let me ask you something I know you're supposed to be asking me but like oh, you're good. so <clears throat> you know you said you know you UFC one then you start training the next day because for me I saw it but holy shit there was no internet like I, I, I was honestly Asking people, do you know any place to do this Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? No, I have no idea. What's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? You know what I mean? Yeah. How the hell did you... Was it just just Honey to Beach, Orange County? Was so like we that? watched UFC 1 on the TV at the bar we were bouncing at. It was it was live yeah. on TV that night. And uh, that's the one that shocked the world. First yep. fight, first strike, kicked this dude's tooth flying yep. past the commentators. With and, Yarbrough, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Emmanuel Yarbrough yeah. and, and um, the guy that Hoist met in the finals. Um, Gerard Gordo. Gerard Gordo. Yep. And and so uh, we saw that, and then there was a guy who Chemo knew named Randy Ziegler, and he had already he had already known who the Gracies were. He had already trained. Not a lot of people know this. Chemo was paying Randy to take privates from Hickson and come back and teach him. No so when shit. UFC three happened and Chemo walked into the lobby of the hotel and Randy Ziggler was with him, Hickson lost his mind. There was a whole melee in the lobby. Like that was a I didn't know that. Yeah, that was but but that's how that's good story, we man. started getting jujitsu. John De La O, a guy I, I started training under for a little while as well, Ken Gabrielson, they were all guys who had trained jujitsu under either Haleson Gracie, who was in um not Helson. Yeah. Haleson. He was in uh like uh San somewhere in Newport Beach. And uh, so there were, there were some guys around, but you just had to have known or known somebody that did it or seen it to, yeah. ask, to know who to ask. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I was just fortunate to, I bounced around a couple different places for the first year. And then by year two, um, I was training, um, year two, two or three, I was training already with Mark and Dave and those guys. Yeah. And there was a guy, I forget his name, um, but there was a guy that said, my brother trains in Brazil. He's a Brazilian guy. He goes, my brother trains in Brazil. He teaches at this gym. Gave me his number. I literally sold my car, packed four duffel bags, got on a plane, flew to Brazil, slept on a mat, and lived out of a locker this big for a year. No on shit. On a pillowcase and a, a pillow and a, and a, and a uh, couch cushion yeah. on the ground. And, and I went there thinking I was going to have, uh, I had 10 grand. So I figured I'd you know, pull off a, a couple months. Well, at the time, $1 was seven real. So I had 70 grand. Yeah. So I stayed for a year. I did yeah. privates every day. I trained yeah. every day. I, you know, I did, uh, you know, 
I, I was there full time, came home once for Christmas, went back, but I was, I was on the mat every day. You know Comprito? Of course. Comprito was purple belt, Leo Vieira was a brown belt. Yeah. Ricardo Vieira was a yellow belt. No his little brother. Shit. You know, I was there when Leo got his black belt. Um, there was just I was there early, early on. Fabio Grigel was still in in Rio and hadn't gone to and Sao young. Paulo yet, where <coughs> he trained Marcelo. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like, way before all of that. And they thought I was crazy. They're like, "Where's your friends?" I was like, "I came alone," and I didn't speak a word of Portuguese. You know, all I had was money and clothes and and uh, training. And so, by the time I got, I fought down there. By the time I got back, I was here maybe a couple months and got invited to fight. Uh, first, I, got, I fought Militich uh, in Extreme Challenge. And then two months later, we fought again. 30 minutes, one round, uh, split decision and a draw. And then two months later, I got invited for the lightweight tournament in the UFC and finally got in at UFC 16. But again, I was a blue belt still and, and just Holy training shit. my ass off. And... and uh, but yeah, that's how I got. I, I had nothing else. Like yeah. I had no fallback. I had. I was. I went all in. It was yeah. like I'm going to be great at this, or at least good enough to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And and this is, you know, I had a passion for teaching and still love love teaching and and coaching. So uh, that was my. I created a fallback from the fighting through the teaching. You know, and here I am, brother. That's killer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, <clears throat> it, it, it it's funny because you're. I mean, are, are, are you considered one of the Dirty Dozen? No, I was 14, I think. Are you sure? Yeah, I was just outside. You're 14? Yeah, I was just outside. Because, you, 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 know, you, you, you know, back when I was coming up, the Dirty Dozen was like, well, there, well there's, only, there's only 16 black belts, so right. that's the first 12. Right. You know, now there's... I don't even know who they all were. I know Chris Howder. I always yeah, remember Chris yeah, because he Howder, was from the area where I was. Maybe Chris Saunders. Yeah. Maybe Kama. Yeah, maybe Common, Dave, uh, uh, um, uh, Mark Eckert as well. I'm not yep, sure. Yeah, Mark Eckert, yeah. Um, those guys were all, you know, in the same area. But, uh, and I know Gazi was like the first American girl that ever mm-hmm. got it. And, and uh, yeah, it was, but I was close. crazy, man. I was close. That's, 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 that's ridiculously early adopter. And, you know, people consider me an early adopter. You know, yeah. it, it's like people are like, oh my God, you, you, you were training since the inception. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I, I was never an early adopter I mean, for when I started. There was an inception before me. Like when I showed up at the Grace Academy, Lowell Anderson was a brown belt. So how long is that? Richard, Richard Bressler was a brown belt. Yeah. Like those guys were already training for long enough in the yeah. garage to yeah. be a brown belt. And, and uh, you know, it was Ethan Milius. You yeah. know Ethan Milius? You yeah. know John yeah, Milius? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Ethan, you know, was a purple belt at the time training. And I was like, so I trained with all those guys in the gi. Yeah. And then uh, I wanted to fight so bad. And one day, Hoist came downstairs. Everybody take your gi tops off. Uh, we're going to go open hand slaps and, and, and roll. You know, I destroyed everybody. No shit. And I was like, this is for me. This is all the brown belts that were beating me, all the, all the purple belts blue. that were beating me, I was blue. And, uh, and I, was, I was beating up on everybody, not getting submitted. I was passing. I was doing stuff. And I was like, this, this is, this this is, is why I want to fight. You know, and, and, and then from that point on, my goal I don't mean to hijack this. No, no, My no, goal no, was to find grips and and control and and all of that without the gi. How can I slow this yeah. game down without the gi on? Yep. You know, and and uh, and that's where you know my whole game came from. from you know, I'll, I'll tell you something. You know, technical because you know, obviously, if you want to know what somebody really believes, what is it that they're teaching their kids? <clears throat> we don't do any lapel work. We use the gi as almost like a ankle weights for a sprinter. Yep. My theory is like if you can learn to escape while somebody has handles and the friction of a gi, 
You can do it all day long, no gi. Right. If you can learn to arm lock a slippery, uncoated arm, you can do it all day long if yeah. they have street clothes on. For sure. But we don't do anything that doesn't translate to no like nothing. The only thing that we do that doesn't translate to no gi is collar chokes. I teach them because I'm like, it's a free finish to a fight. Sure. And this doesn't seem aggressive. It's completely benign. Put right. your hands right there in a collar. Right. This, everybody knows what this means. Yep. You know, so my kids know collar chokes, but they don't, they, they, they wouldn't know spider guard from roach guard. Good. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, or the weird lapels, yeah. you know, they, they, but that, you know, so that much a, different stuff now. So it's, much oh my God. Wild. And when I look at the sporting aspect, it does blow my mind when guys have found a way within the confines of the rules and there's no blunt force trauma, there's no striking. They found a way to take their lapel wrap it under a leg, make a grip, and tilt you off base and balance. They're coming up with ways that... Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't resemble combat sports, but holy crap, the way that they've evolved different sweeps and back takes is kind of... It definitely translated away from from the, you know, jiu-jitsu, from, from the beginning yeah. of jiu-jitsu and the self-defense version of jiu-jitsu. However, and I, and I tell people this, I said, as stupid as that is, if you grab a guy who's never trained before... You're still gonna be able to do it. Hundred percent. You're still gonna be able to do it. Hundred percent. It's that. It's that unfair. You can do something stupid that's never gonna yeah. work. People, people say it'll never work in the street. It will. It'll work in the street against a guy who's never seen jujitsu before. Hundred yeah, percent. Like if he has, okay, maybe you know you're not gonna be able to do it. But, but all of the you know that's what we found in our in our getting in trouble days of street fighting. Yeah. People you realize that they, they have no Like, idea. this isn't fair. Yeah. This isn't fair. You're like, this guy's not even defending. I'm yeah. 99% the way here, and he still has no idea yeah. what's coming. Yeah. That was wild. So so how did you get started uh, in in training? You, you're acting, and then your dad, you said, is the one turned you on to it? Uh, you know, my, my granddaddy sent me the VHS oh, the of UFC 1. My dad was a Golden Gloves boxer, so, you know, I coming up in Texas, I, there's a ton of fights growing up. But, but, but the difference is... You know, I, I, I've never been in a fight where I thought I was going to get stabbed. I've never been in a, well, not until later in life. But certainly growing up in Texas on the football field, there was a fight after every fourth practice. You right. know what I mean? It was like, but it was all gentleman fighting. You know, if if I showed up and I had eight friends and you showed up and you had eight friends and we were to meet behind the U-totem by the big du green dumpster, if one of my friends picked up a rock and hit you with it, my own friends would be his right. ass. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it, it, it was just, that was just never. And now it's just a very different thing. Oh yeah. You know, where there's knives and bottles. So when I say I grew up in a fighting Texas culture, it's not like it is today. It's like, it was almost like, let's play a game of soccer in the front yard or let's fight. You think you could beat up Mike? Let's fight, let's, you know, and you'd right. scrap. Let's find out. But, it, but, but you'd, sometimes you'd even keep playing after the fight, right. you know? Um, so that was a big part of my life. Uh, I, 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 I always, I was, I was a smaller kid. Like I said, right now I'm 169. I've never been a big dude. And uh, I always valued my dad telling me stories about, you know, being a Golden Gloves boxer and there's going to come a time where you need this. So I was always interested in martial arts. Started in a complete McDojo. Then I got into Taekwondo. I, all, age old story. Right. Until I finally found, you know, jujitsu. When they came in, they started putting these mats down, and it completely changed my life. And How I camped far? out at Hickson's Academy. I was over. I made some shitty business decisions because of jujitsu. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I wanted to. I, I wanted to win the Pan Ams, and so I, 
turned down films because I wanted to keep training for the Pan Ams. The Pan Ams, which back in the day, no one fucking knew what it was. Yeah. There was like the dude I was in the finals with was a fucking. He was going to dental school, like he's. <laughs> he's like me. He's a dude that did this shit in his spare time. Yeah, you know what I mean. And but it meant that much to me. So, and I, and and to be win, I don't. Re- I did win, but I don't regret a Was fucking thing. Fuck yes, dude. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, I, like well, like would 100%. I be telling my kids about the film that I turned down? No, right. It doesn't. It doesn't fucking matter. But stupid little inconsequential yeah. achievements. There's five people in the world that fucking knew what it was. I don't give a shit. It meant something to me, you know, and I don't regret it for the world, for the life of me, man. How long after your granddad sent you the video before you started training? He sent it to me in 93, so six six years, man, yeah. 99. Did you wish that you went and found it then? Oh, my God. Like everybody? Every, every, the only regret every single human being has when they step on a jiu-jitsu mat is, why didn't I fucking start this earlier? Yep. That's it. I've never heard another excuse. Nope. Everyone. Everybody. That's because awesome. it is the truth. It's what everybody that sought out martial arts was really looking for. You know, I don't give a shit how, how good of a boxer you are. If you take, I don't know, a D1 strong safety from UT and you put, square them up on a football field, I think the boxer would win, but I don't know. Right. He could get caught. Am I right? Sure. He could get caught. If you put the D1 strong safety against a black belt, He's it's, not submitting them. Is it? No. no. It's, it's going to be over really quick. Yeah, that's what I always tell people. There's no flukes. Yeah. Like, you, you might knock me out in a, if we stand and box. You're not going to submit me unless you're better than me. What is this? What? Oh, oh yeah. I, I, guess, I guess this is it. Oh, I'm a plot of things. I've never I've seen, seen this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, it's the equalizer. It, it, it separates. I shouldn't even say the equalizer. It's, it's the separator. It separates. You it's know. a loaded weapon. Yeah. And that's what we all thought growing up in the 70s and 80s. It's like, man, if you know Shotokan Karate, you're carrying a weapon. We didn't know it was full of shit back then, but I'm sure you have an advantage. Yeah. Definitely you have an advantage, but it's not a loaded weapon. Jiu-Jitsu was. When I walked onto that mat, I mean, I was, I was doing triathlons at the time. I was a sponsored athlete. And I'd been doing martial arts since I was nine. And I got wrecked. I mean, you got to look in the mirror after that happens and, and reassess what you've been spending your time on. And oh, you yeah. either commit to this new thing or you have a life of denial. Yeah. You might have a, I'm going to go back tomorrow and do better. Yeah. And, but then it happens again. You're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So <laughs> yeah. W- what really sold me, like I was already sold, but I had been training six months and my older brother had been training at a United Studios of Self-Defense in, in California. And he had a guy who owned like five gyms, five of those, five of those schools. And they had a sparring on Friday night. And he said, hey, come in. You know, we'll wear small gloves and we'll, we'll just spar. We'll go. And I ran through, easily ran through every single black belt that was in the room. And I was a six-month. I don't know if I had my blue belt yet. I don't think I did. I was a white belt. And, but I had six months of everyday jujitsu and just ran through yeah. these guys. And my brother was like, huh. You know? And it was, it was just night and day different. You, yeah. just, you, it, you can't stop it if you don't know it. Now, tell me this. Did he get into jujitsu? He didn't. I did a little bit of I did a little bit of privates with him on the side, um, and and he learned a little bit. He was very tough, fought street fight all the time, yeah, you know, yeah, back yeah. in the day. But but never. Uh, I think at the time he was already married with kids and uh, just never yeah, yeah, yeah. never yeah, got yeah, into yeah. it. But yeah. So, would you say uh, moving forward, movie wise, what what's your Boondock Saints? I mean, that's what people know me most for. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, but you know, I've been. I say 
lucky enough to have a career <clears throat> where I've been gainfully employed for 30 years, haven't had to get a real job, but I've still been able to retain my anonymity. I mean, I can go to the grocery store, I can do anything, and the most I'm going to get is like, Man, yeah. anybody ever tell you you look like Chris Brennan? And you're like, yeah, I, I, I get that sometimes. It's the ears. Yeah, it's the ears. You know what I mean? And they're like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Anyway, where's the milk? You know, right, right. it's very rare that they go, dude, are you Sean Patrick? It's fucking really rare. And I'm when proud of I that. I felt my boxing coach walked in and knew who you were as soon as he walked in the door. Just well, yeah, but that's rare. But that's rare. You know what I mean? It's, uh, and and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. You know, it allows me to travel with a gi and a belt and some no-gi stuff and walk into any academy, and I'm on the fifth roll by the time somebody goes, hey, dude, that's the guy from, you know what I mean? Yeah. It allows me to just be a regular human, man. So I'm, I'm in an industry where you lose your anonymity, but I've been able to hold on tight to mine, and I'm that's awesome. I'm grateful for it, man. I, I, I have a, a small story about that. I was down in Houston at the UFC one time, and, and I'm the I'm the – Every once in a while, someone would be like, hey, you know, I saw you fight before. Hey, you know, whatever, randomly, yeah. here, here and there. And yeah. it's cool, especially when my kids are there. It's yeah, like, yeah, man. it's cool. <clears throat> We're standing at a lighter ready to cross the street to go into the UFC, and Uriah kind of comes across the street favor with a hoodie on. And there was like 15 people at the light, and I, and I know him well. Yeah. And I look around the hoodie and go, Uriah. And I go, what's up? <laughs> he just kind of jogged down the street away. He's like, what's up, bro? And took off jogging and then kind of ran into the building. Later in the UFC, I'm watching him try to get up to go to the bathroom, and people are mobbing him trying to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, God, imagine it being like that. And then I was like, and he's Uriah Faber, who's a, who's a fighter. Imagine being like a crazy rock star. You literally can't go anywhere. No. You know? So I, I kind of enjoy, I'd rather it be a, a rare and random thing. It doesn't really impede on anything. And, and uh, I'm sure yours is more than, more than rare or random, but it's... it's it's rare Not enough crazy. that I. It's rare enough that I can still do anything I want. You know, like even I, I, you know, my, my godchild is uh, Alfonso Ribeiro, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, we've been on flights before. Really? Yeah, that's awesome. We, we've been on airplane rides before, where somebody hears his voice and turns around. And they're like, "I thought that was you." They didn't even see the motherfucker. They just recognize his right. voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that's a different level of. You know what I tell you? Anonymity allows you to be an asshole if you need to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if if somebody brings your food, it's cold. There's a worm in it. You can go, brother. There's a worm in my meat. Right. But if you're, it's not going to make the news. The next if your Elvis is like, well, Elvis was complaining about his meat. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. I can, I can, be the a normal person. You know. Um, back to Boondocks. That's a movie that you can watch a hundred times. Like the toilet scene. <laughs> nothing better than than the <laughs> that whole entire scene is wild. But how was that to make? I mean, it was killer. Well, first of all. I've known Rita since 94, so he and I were close friends before Boondock came around. Okay. So, like, no shit. By the time we both got cast in Boondock, it was almost a little hard to believe that they were going to stick two young single dudes in a foreign country with a pocket full of per diem across the street from the Brass Rail, a world-famous strip club. Yeah. And expect to get some shit Where were done. You? We were in Toronto. Okay. And just uh, it was just nonsense. They didn't even give assign us babysitters. It was just <laughs> that's out of control. I mean, it was completely out of control, brother. I mean, the fact that we even completed the film. But you know, to people people talk about the chemistry. It's because he's he's my boy. Yeah. I mean, our whole he he truly is like my little brother. Like I always make a joke. Like Rita's whole self defense system when we're in a bar is 
Where's Flannery? Yeah. Somebody go get Flannery. I've got those, I've got those friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go get Chris. Where's Chris? You know, it's uh, he's he's one of the best dudes in Hollywood. Tuesday, he's getting his his Hollywood star on the Walk of Fame. Oh, really? Yeah, dude. That's awesome. I mean, it's crazy to think that we came up together doing Boondock, which was an independent film, man. Nobody yeah. knew people were. You know, you. I, I always look at my my, my career, or pretty much any actor's career, as you know the. The iceberg, you know, you see the four percent that's sticking out sure. of the water. Sure, dude, all of my time is spent making all this shit that nobody ever sees. Right, and we didn't know Boondock was going to be outside of the surface of the water. Lo and behold, it is. But holy shit, we've been knocking around really blue collar actors working for a paycheck and enjoying life. I'm not I'm not complaining about it for a long time, and now here we are, motherfuckers getting a, a star on the Hollywood yeah, Walk awesome. of Fame, brother. It's it's like. To see that's pretty, that's pretty incredible, man. What's uh? So that's a movie that like people still see for the first time now. Yeah, I know. And are hooked on it just like the people who saw it 15 years ago. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like wow, you know. And, and I, I try to I try to turn people onto it as often as possible just because it's it's a great movie. What else is he doing? Uh, right now he's in France doing the spinoff to The Walking Dead. Okay. You know, here's a dude that like no shit. Daryl Dixon wasn't even a wasn't even a character in the comic book, right? Or he wasn't a character in the show, and uh, so they wrote in this character. And I don't know, you're too young to remember Happy Days, but Happy Days was about I'm not. Well, yeah, no, it was all about. All right, me too, me too, brother. <laughs> well, it was about Richie Cunningham, the show. Okay. Until episode seven, and they realized, oh no, 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 Fonzie's oh, the breakout yeah. character. You know what I mean? It was really the Fonzie show. Well, Walking Dead's the same way. I mean, here was this ancillary character. They paid him nothing to come and do one episode. People loved it so much. They're like, well, let him do a second episode. Oh, shit, they like it. Let him do a third. By the end of season one, he's a star. He, he, he was Fonzie, brother. Yeah. I mean, just completely stole that lunch money and ran home with it. And to see one of your closest buddies just, you know, some people may say, well, you know, he was pitched a line drive right over home plate. My motherfuckers would have fouled that he hit it or maybe hit a single that dude parked it over the center field fence into the fucking parking lot yeah. sat mark mcguire the fuck down yeah. with that swing you know what i mean yeah it's like as nobody else could have done that i mean that's that, that that is a role that he is you know branded on his soul and it's emblematic of who he is as a dude it's just uh and it's killer to have a a shotgun C to watch that happen to one of your best buddies. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys are still buddies. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I talk to him all the time. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you when we first brought up Powder, is that one that, uh, because you have to look at that character and stare at it for a minute to know that it's you. Yeah. Do, is that something that was that that prevented people from knowing it was you in that movie? Do you ever get that? That was you. Nobody ever knows I'm powder. Like I'm not kidding. When I I'm I'm not I'm not minimizing. Well, there's a few, but it's rare. It ain't rare. Yeah. It never happens. Nobody. It's uh. I it's, feel like you have to be like a Jim Carrey to put the mask on to know that the mask is Jim Carrey. But you got to be that guy. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. You, you had know. to see him in the dressing room. Yeah. yeah. It's uh. I mean, I'm 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 proud of that film. I wish more people had seen it. Um. Uh, but no one recognizes me from that. I mean, I, 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 whenever I got that part, I remember I, sh I shaved my head before I had to drive to where we were shooting it. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, all right, I'm, not to be arrogant, but I'm like, I'm st 
still a decent looking still dude. Good. Yeah, I could still pull some chicks. Then, man, I shaved my eyebrows, brother. I was like, I, I, right, I, I may be single the rest of Yeah, not anymore, brother. I was, uh, I looked like some weird androgynous mosquito larva. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's odd what these oh, yeah. little strips of hair do, and they frame your face and your personality. And I looked at, I just looked odd. You know, without the makeup on, I'd be, I'd be at an Italian restaurant, you know, grabbing a pole of pasta, and you could see people going. <laughs> You know, like you, you, you went tell, out. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I went. Yeah, I went all the time, man. Like another verse, like I can't go out to eat by myself. Like, I fuck out. I got a movies by myself. I do everything by myself. Um, if I'm out of town, and I don't know anybody. Right. But yeah, you'd see people pointing and going, "What the fuck's up with that guy?" Also, I lost weight. I wanted this guy to look like a kind of a porcelain statue. You know, so I went down to like 145 pounds or something. Oh wow. So he was he was an odd looking dude, but it, it was interesting to see people point and whisper. They, they could tell something was up, but they didn't know. Like, nobody's looking and going, look, that dude doesn't have eyebrows. They just know something's off. Yeah, he was weird. That's a weird look. How long? You got to put makeup on every day. Is that a long process or no? Man, if I had long sleeves on and the only thing exposed was my head and my hands, two and a half hours. And Still two and a half hours. Yeah, it, it was wintertime. And so they used an airbrush. And an airbrush is compressed air, so it comes out at like 40 degrees because of the airbrush and the paint, you had to leave the doors to the trailer open for ventilation. So it's 30 degrees in dead of winter, and they're blowing 40-degree air on me. I sat for two and a half hours just shaking, wow. getting the makeup on. But if there is one negative aspect about this job, and I'm not trying to be soft, holy crap, that's it. But it, shit, if that's the worst part, right. you know what I mean, where I'm laying in a chair listening to music, getting spray-painted, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, when did you start, I guess... Looking back now or listening to what you said, you started writing. That was the first thing you did. First thing I did. And then uh, did you do anything big before Jane 2? Or was that the first like novel novel that you had written? You know, it's the first thing. You know, w w I, like I said, I moved out, you know, to be a writer. The, the next thing, I, I, wrote, I wrote for a couple of periodicals. People would request, you know, details, detour, stuff like that. And then the editor of Jane Magazine, which is like a cosmopolitan kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Her name is Jane Pratt. And she called and she asked if I would write something for a magazine. I had no idea what I could possibly lend to a chick's magazine. But I said, you know, and she said, why don't you write about your first kiss? And I thought, wow, serendipity. Oddly enough, something happened to me when I was a kid that I always wanted to write this story down. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll write this as a short story and I'll give it to your magazine. So I did. A number of people, number, number of companies came out of the woodwork trying to get the rights to the story. A little personal story for me. So I politely turned it down I said you know I'll write I'll write a, I'll write a script I don't want to sell it to anybody but I'll write a script and I'll approach you guys in the order in which you approached me <clears throat> and I did and the first company set it up immediately um, lo and behold they wanted to do it in the second quarter of their second option period and they were bouncing around an age-old story in Hollywood it's like you could take a, a film a script about a nunnery and with enough producers involved, it'll end up on Honolulu Beach with mohair thongs. Right. And you know what I mean? It's just right. like subtle change. It started going in that direction. And so I took the rights back and I just slept on it. And then in 2015, I decided to write it as a full-blown novel. And I put the word novel down there because I didn't want any people in the book to set my house on fire that might have taken it the wrong way. Um... And, you know, the, the book came out and the same thing happened. Then a number of companies came out and want to make the film. So now I'm in the stage of, you know, uh, 
converting it into an updated screenplay to include new 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 elements of the story because a novel is far greater expanse than you know an article for a magazine but it's very flattering you know that people see something in that story right. and that was really the next thing for writing then in 2007 i was sitting in my bed and i wrote a short story you know the mma underground yep oh yeah somebody wrote a thread saying tell us your great your best story write your best story and i read that and sat in bed and 2007 and I wrote the Mickey Kelly story okay. about the origins of MMA and uh, I didn't really convert it into a script until 2011 but I knew that story I'm like I, I want to make this as a film and then it took a while you know 2019 you figure it took actually 2007 to 2019 from when I wrote it to when it comes on the screen I think we released it in January of 2020 or 21 um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's a long process to get a film made, man. Yeah, and to convince sure. people to, you know, uh, loosen purse strings cause it, it, it's an expensive prospect, but you know, grateful that people took a shot at it. I'm grateful that people dug it. You know, I'd imagine at first it's difficult just to get them to read it. hundred percent. Yeah. And then nine times out of 10, you have a conversation with them and they're talking about whether they liked it or not. And you can tell that they didn't read it. Right. You could tell you did not read that. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's got to be frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, 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 it's been good. So now, you know, there's a, a writing takes a, a bigger proportion of my career. But, uh, you know, still doing the same thing. I, I, I consider myself first and foremost a dad, you know, and, and a husband. It's, it's my life now is about my kids and, you know, leaving behind a legacy, taking care of my wife and, Really watching them grow and blossom. Yeah. And a patriot. Hundred percent a patriot, man. Yes. You know, it's. Uh, I'm grateful. You know, I met a girl that's cut from the same cloth. You know, she's from South Carolina. Um. So we agreed on everything. You know, nothing. You know, when you meet a, you meet a girl, it's like the courtship process. Nowadays is kind of like holy shit, nice rack. That's right. the courtship process. Right. You know, and a chick's version of the courtship process is. Did you see the car he pulled up in? Right. You know, man, when I met her, I really thought, holy shit, like my dream girl, to a T. And I, suddenly I was like nervous and I was like, oh my God, I didn't even kiss her for like four dates. She must have been like, what the fuck is What's this wrong with this guy? What the fuck's wrong with this dude? <clears throat> uh, but I was just like, I was really like, holy shit, you know? But when it came time to, you know, when, when we started to get serious and I thought, man, I, I would marry this girl. I interviewed her brother. I asked her every conceivable question, like down to who did you vote for? Because I need to know. I need to know what are the rules that you want to operate your life under? What are the rules? That's what a is big the system? thing right now. It's a huge thing, brother. What is a, the system that we're going to raise kids that under? That is getting divorced over that right now. He should have They voted the side by side, and she thought that he voted the way she voted, and later on came out because he couldn't stand reading all the stuff she was posting that they talked about it, and then he ended up telling her, and they're, end up, they're getting divorced wild wild she couldn't believe it was it was so hard for her to conceive because 
She lives with him. She knows him very well. And how could he be a patriot and not be racist? She couldn't believe it because she knows he's not racist because she's married to him and she knows him. Yeah. So she just was like... Cognitive dissonance. Did not understand yeah. how, it, how they could be married. How could he vote for this guy, but he's not racist? That doesn't make sense. You're lying. You know, and it was just... Yeah. It went off the deep end and they, they're getting divorced. I'm just like, holy crap, man. Anyway, sorry. Uh, no, I, so I, it, it totally makes sense. It, I, I interviewed her. I mean, I mean e even now... I have friends that want me to be the godparent to their children, but they post things on Facebook that says, if you this, unfollow me. It's like, what? Right. You, of all the, if anything happened to you, the one person you want to raise your child is me. Right. But it's like, you know, they love the result, but they claim to hate the recipe, you know? Yeah. If you look at my kids and you go, wow, I want kids like that. Well, right. you, you, it, it came from a recipe. Right. It wasn't just a matter of throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. Same. You know? It's, but yeah, so I interviewed her and she answered all the right questions. It's, but you know, I was, I was raised the same way. Uh, my granddaddy, my dad, um, and I have a wonderful relationship with my parents. You know, like now, especially in Hollywood, there seems to be this thing for being an artist of like, oh, you know, the trauma in my youth and that's where I really source my creative. Like, motherfucker, nobody diddled me as a kid. I, I have none of this trauma. I can still plug into those aspects. And I talk to my fucking dad every day. You know, if you hear me say, I love you, dad. Like, oh, you love your dad? Yeah, motherfucker, I love my dad. Yeah. The fuck's wrong with you? You know, my dad was at every sporting event I ever had. So was my mom. My kid tells me on TV in between rounds. Yeah. John McCarthy and them talk about it. Like, that's great. That's awesome. Dude, I'll tell you this, man. I could tell, and I told the chick the same thing. I said, dude, th there is another dude out there that's a dad that dad's like me. And it's you. Dude, I follow your Facebook posts and they're authentic. They're not like, here's a fucking jerk off where I'm being a good dad. It's like, dude, all you give a shit about is your fucking kids. 100%. And I'm in the same position. Now, I don't give a fuck what it makes me look like. I don't give a fuck what you think. It's about me and my family and my kids. And I can, I can see that in you, dude. It's authentic. It's not this Instagram of like, you know, where I'm out doing other things, but here's an Instagram post of me being a dad. Right. It's like, dude, you do the same shit. That's all I do. Yeah, me too. Literally all me too. 24-7. Yeah. And I got a chick that's, that, that, that's subscribing to the same newspaper, brother. Yeah. Like, we're on the same page with everything. That's awesome. And I, I, like, honestly, lucky stars. I'm grateful. I'm so glad that I did it a little later in life when it wasn't just sweet ass, man, nice rack. You want right. to get married. You know? Sure. It was more, nah, this is a long-term thing. If we're going to procreate, we're going to bring a kid into this world. What do you think about corporal punishment? What do you think about homeschooling versus pub public schooling? What do you think about politics, fiscal responsibility? What, all of that, all of the above. And it was... That's amazing. And I was like, oh, Flannery. Sold. <laughs> yeah, you know, because at this point, you have to marry this girl now. And I, was, and I did, man. And I, I was the dude that was like, I, I told her. This is how amazing my chick is. She's right down there. This is how amazing she is. I, I can't believe I'm going to say this on camera, but I knew who I was. And I, I'd never told a woman before that I would be faithful. I've never once said that to a girl. So in my mind, I've never cheated on a girl. I've gone into everything saying, hey, if we're dating, you know, I, you do you, I do me. So I've never lied to a chick, but I knew that I had that chase gene in me, sure. that primal kind of thing. I told her, I said, if we're going to have a baby, if I fuck up, are, are you going to leave me and take my child? Because if so, we're not doing this. 
And dude, talking about a line from Born a Champion, there's two of them. She looked at me and she goes, it will devastate me, but I won't leave you. And dude, from that moment on, I was like, holy shit. And so from that moment on, it's almost like that answer gave me the ability to not stray. And I was like, I I can't. Because she's saying, no, nothing will make me leave you, but it'll, and it almost brings tears to my eyes, man. Another thing, when I met her, I said, what do you want to do? Like, what are you chasing out here? She goes, I want to be a mom. I said, what? She goes, I just want to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to raise kids. I want to be a mom. And, dude, I put that line in Born to Champion. And it just was like, here's a girl out in Hollywood that's fucking drop-dead fucking stinger missile gorgeous. And she's not like, I want to be this. I want to be on this show. She wants to be a fucking mom. And I'm like, how the fuck is this falling in my lap? I was like, sign me the fuck up. I don't deserve this. (laughs) Honestly. And I got to tell you, I, I mean... It gave me beautiful boys, but to do this with a teammate like that is, brother, of all the things that have happened in my life, she's it, man. Yeah. I mean, it. So I'm grateful. When did you, you meet her? I met her in 06, I should fucking know. It's like 16 years, 15, 16 years? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you the way I met her. Um, a friend of mine, Julie McCullough, uh, who's an actress, she was on, she would see me at the Playboy Mansion, and she, she goes, how come I never see you with a girl? And you know, I was there with Alfonso, a couple of my boys that all always had packet chicks. I said, you know, I'm just not into the whole platinum blonde, fake, right. fake breast things. She goes, she walked away. She came back a minute, she goes, my friend Lauren, you're gonna want her to have your kids. I'm like, all right, we'll bring her up here. I'm thinking, I'll try. Whatever. I'll give it a DM, whatever. She goes, no, she's not like it. She's not coming up here. I said, fuck you, me. She's not coming up here. She goes, I said, show me a picture of her. Where is she? So she shows me a picture, and I was like, introduce me. I was like, and so I told her, I said, well, have her call me. She's like, she's not going to call you. I said, what do you mean she's not going to call me? She goes, she's not like that. I was like, and this is what she says. This dates it. She goes, Send her a MySpace message. And I thought, Julie, I don't fucking have a MySpace. This is back in MySpace day. She goes, well, get a MySpace and send her a message. I said, okay, all right, I will. Um, two weeks go by. Julie called me. She goes, you didn't send her a MySpace. I'm like, fuck, Julie, I don't have a MySpace. I said, fine, I will. I put a picture of myself when I'm eight years old, and I sent her a message. <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm a friend of Julie McCullough. She says I'm going to want you to have my kids. And, dude... We started corresponding for about a month on MySpace. Like every couple anniversaries, she gives me a printout of our MySpace oh, correspondence wow. that goes on for a month. And I'll tell you this, man, I would ask her out and she wouldn't go out with me, man. I was like, who the fuck is this chick? She's right. a fucking stinger. And I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be having a meeting at this restaurant. If you, if, if, if you want to go out, maybe you want to just drop by and we'll have a drink together. And No, well, it's just, you know, maybe next time. We're carried on this correspondence. And then finally, I said, I said, well, you know, do you want to go out with me? We're, me and my boys are going to go to a bar. Why don't you and some of your girls? She, she goes, well, give me a minute. And then she, called, then she texts back on MySpace. Okay, fine. Well, well, well we don't want to go there, but they want to go to this bar. I said, okay, we'll, we'll go. Where's the bar? She goes, it's called Happy Ending on Sunset. Dude, the first time she walked into the bar called Happy Ending, I was like, Holy 
fuck, <laughs> dude. She walked right up to me. We hugged. She never left my side. I mean, I was like, it, it's like my, my heart got, like, I was like, Wah. like, you, you, you know, right yeah. then, you're like, that. I've talked to this chick for a month. There's nothing, I can't come up with anything wrong with this chick. And she's like making me nervous and insecure. And you, right. you know, at, dude. So I met her at Happy Ending. And, uh, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Uh, yes. It's like somebody wrote that, read yes. that shit. But That's yeah, awesome. man, it's, it's, uh, and it gave me some great boys. She is, she's, I, I, I can't imagine a better mom than her. I really can't. Or at least a better mom to fit with my dadding, you know? It's, uh, but I, you know, grateful, grateful. My dream chick. That's awesome. Um, Born a Champion. You wrote it? I wrote it. I, I wrote it. Uh, I acted in it. And, uh, I put my boys in it. You yeah. know, when, when I first wrote that story, you know, Mickey Kelly's son, kid, was one age. But, you know, by the time we got it made, I had two boys. Right. So I rewrote it. So I, there, there's a, a younger version of kid that Porter, my youngest, plays. And then there's a little bit of a time cut. And then the older version is eight and nine. So I, my oldest, Charlie, plays. And uh, they're not actors. I, you know, if, if, if they get to be 18, they want to act. They can do that shit. But right. They're, they're not doing anything unless I'm in it and we're doing it as a family, you know? Right. So it was kind of one and done for them. But, I mean, they crushed it. They stole the show. And I don't know if you ever, if you watched in the credits, it's me and Charlie rolling during the credits. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I watched it numerous times. Oh, man, yeah, I appreciate it, brother. Times. I appreciate it. But, you know, that that's, you know, being a martial artist, it, it's, it's and, and having given that to them for so long, to have something like that permanent, for us to look back on, brother. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, for me too. For me, watching that film is like, it it, it gets heavy because you know that that'll that immortalizes us and our family relationship. And you know, like I said, I stole, I put, I gave lines to the Layla character that came out of her mouth. Right. You know, really, what makes Mickey fall in love with her? And he goes, "What about you?" And she goes, "Well, I want to be a mom." It's like, excuse me, <laughs> we're in L.A. Like what the fuck? What do you mean yeah. you want to be a mom? It, it was just something as simple as that. It's like wow, you're you're completely different than everybody in this entire almost country. You're willing to yeah. say that out loud? Like that's a derogatory term now. <laughs> and you're pretty much saying I want to stay at home and raise my offspring, yeah. which is honorable and amazing. She fucking said that to my face. So. I'd love to say I'm a great writer, but I'm just a great listener, man. <laughs> I just listen to great shit and say, man, that That's moved me. As well. It moved me, man. It moved the shit out of me. So when I, even when I hear that line, I remember where it came from, you know? It came out of my wife's mouth. You watch your stuff? I do, yeah. 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 Good. Good. I mean, you know, there, there, there's actors out there that say, you know, I How can't. You not? I can't. I, I, brother, I, I think it's bullshit. Yeah. I think it's made up crap. That's the like, same guy that says he's not nervous before the fight. It's the same dude that says <laughs> not nervous before the fight. Sure and it's the same dude that's like, well, my art came from this. I was homeless for seven weeks and I ate my own fecal matter. But it, you know, you're like, fuck off, dude. You came from the suburbs. Right. We know where you came from. It's that kind of crap. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know somebody that doesn't, but I know all these people that say that they don't. Right. Like, it, it's some painful experience. Like, fuck out of here, man. Yeah, I don't know how you couldn't. I, I, don't, I don't get it either. I mean, I... I there, there's some things that I don't care enough about to watch, but it's not because of some weirdness. It's because 
you know, there's like three, three reasons you do a film. You do it because there's killer people involved. Like if Scorsese called me and said, hey, Flanner, I want you to be in my movie. I'd just say yes. Right. I don't need to read the script. Yeah, I don't need to know what, what he's paying me. It's like, yes. You know, if somebody says, um, so the people, if, if, hey, Flanner, we want you to play Brad Pitt's brother in a movie. Yes. You know what I mean? I don't, sure. I don't do a film. So, so like, that's a yes. Or if I read a script and it's so fucking amazing, I don't care who directs it. I don't care who else is in it. I don't care what they pay me. Or the last one is for money, you know? Right. And there's times that I've done films for money. Sure. And some of those I haven't bothered to see because I, you know, I... I, I Weren't as interested in the actual... Yeah, it's like, you know, it's uh, it's d good enough, but it's nothing that's going to be... Even if it's executed 100% perfectly, it's never going to be anything like, holy shit, amazing, in my opinion. And there's actors out there that'll tell you, no, I... I'm such an artist. I don't do it unless I really believe in it. Fuck you. Of course you do. Bullshit. Yeah. Every actor does. And I have shit that I've done just for the money. Um, you try to minimize those, but, you know, so the only time I haven't seen something, it's because I, I, don't, I don't care enough. I, right. I, I don't have the time, and it's not important enough to me, you know? But certainly things I care about. Absolutely, man. Um, you got anything going on right now? Do you have yeah. a gym? I do. You do have a gym. Yeah, I have a gym. It's on my property. It's in my backyard. Um, full space, full wall mats. Um, there's class going on as we speak. What time is it? 10.30. 10.30. The kids' class has been 30 minutes in. So some instructors underneath me teaching the kids' class. Then adult starts at 11.30, so an hour and a half kids' class. Um, um, That's what I need, a gym with no overhead. Man, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the beautiful thing about it is you know I, I know you can probably relate to this when you when you own and operate your own gym sometimes your love for the martial arts sacrifices because you're getting a phone call like hey chris i can't teach tonight and you're like yeah. fuck call my mike can you pick up class at 7 30. it's just all of that day to day yeah. as opposed to just like when you started you just show up and you fucking train yeah. so sometimes you lose a little of that man and i've never lost my love for jujitsu but sometimes it waned a little bit because there was other things, you know, do, doing the payroll, doing the taxes, doing. But man, now I can be selective. Like you, you don't get on the mat unless you're an asset, and not a liability. Right. I've kicked more people off the mat than I have total training with me. It's my kids' class are stellar children from stellar families, you know. And I started uh, the jujitsu heirloom, which uh, we sponsor kids. Um, I don't charge. Uh, there's kids, you know, without dads that come to me, and I make them sign a contract. It's like uh, there's nothing for free. They don't have to pay for class, but you got to clean the mats a certain amount of times a day. You have three opportunities to miss class, three opportunities if you don't notify me within 24 hours. If you do that three times, you're off. You have to train three days a week, no exceptions, and it really changes kids' lives. Yeah. You know, you see kids that come in, they're like, how you doing, Chris? Oh, yeah. And then later they're like, how are you, Professor Britton? You know, yep. a month later, you just see their grades, everything about them. They're a different human being. So it, the good and the bad is it, it's heavily vetted because it is on my property. So if I'm out of town working, and which is pretty rare that I don't take the family with me, I got to know who's coming into my backyard. So they're all people that I know and trust with a key and to be on my property. Um, and the kids program, none, it's the same. They have to be kids that make my kids better. Um, 
I, I'm not going to have anybody on the mat that pulls the, the, the mat down. It's And I'm, I'm really proud of what we got going. And also, you know, my love for jiu-jitsu has completely come back to just training and just teaching yeah. and really loving it, you know. It's uh, so, uh, you know, in that aspect of my life, you know, I, I, I don't do it for the money. I do it for legacy, you know. It's like the first half of your career as a, as a martial artist is all this. Man, I'm, I can't say how many times somebody would be like, Flannery, show me that arm lock setup. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll show you after class. After class, I'm fucking out the door. Right. You know what I mean? Then the second half, you're like, okay, it's start, starting to be this now. Mm -hmm. You know, starting to, and that's where I'm at now with, uh, you know, leaving it behind. I'm sure you have things that you think, man, nobody else is doing this and you don't want it to be lost. And, right. You know, same thing with me and giving it to my kids. It's, it's, it's one of the most valuable things I have to leave behind. You know, it's my granddad used to say, you know, you can leave your kids stuff or you can leave them a work ethic, but you can rarely leave them both. You know, I'm gonna leave yeah. my kids a work ethic and achievements and a philosophy and a concept of life that'll allow them to get anything that they want, but it ain't gonna be stuff, you know. Yeah, good. How long have you been back in Texas? Six and a half years now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like right in 16, mom and dad got sick, right about 15, 16. And I think, well, I think we moved a little earlier um, because we were, we were waiting for the house to close because they had to move out and everything. And the way we found this house, man, because I told you, my, I bought it about 100 yards from my dad's house. Right. So we, we were looking for a house in this neighborhood. It's a cool neighborhood, a lot of land, and there's no houses for sale. And I thought, man, I want to buy this one. This is like a mid-century modern. Um, I said, man, man, I was with the chick, and we were driving. I said, why don't I just go knock on the door? She's like, you can't go knock on the door because a lot of property. Like, even driving to the front doors, like, like if you go to somebody's front door, like, fuck. I've seen, I don't know if you send me pictures or video or something, but I've seen the front, and, and it's, a, it's a jaunt to the front door. It is door. a jaunt to the front door. Yeah. So she's like, you can't do that. I'm like, Let me, let's just. So, man, we parked on the street, walked all the way up, knocked, and you could see the dude came around and he looked like who the fuck's knocking on the Why door? property and i said hello sir <laughs> we're yeah, yeah almost <laughs> like that man and i said hey we're the flannery's uh, my dad's paul flannery lives on iberry's and he opens the door he's like yeah i know paul i said i'm sure he's like you're sean i'm like yes sir i said just a random question any possibility you'd be interested in selling your house he goes well oddly enough i retire in december we were going to put it on the market in january and i thought holy shit man Wow. And that's how we got the house, man. I knocked on his door. That's awesome. And then, you know, then, you know, I, so I, I lost my parents, but, but uh, you know, the last handful of years, my kids got to grow up with their mamma and granddaddy like I did. Like my mamma and granddaddy were at every waking moment of my life. And so for two and a half, three years, they saw him every day. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like, oh, yeah, that guy we went to their house at Christmas. It's like, no, no, no. They watch Full Metal Jacket on the Barca lounger in my granddaddy's lap. They, were, they have all those memories, you know what I mean? Yeah. Awesome. So, um, how often do you go to the mat? All the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, when I say all the time, um, you know, uh, I, I was up there doing the boys in Toronto during COVID, and I probably shouldn't say this on camera, but me and the whole stunt team trained. Yeah. Uh, they had mats. It's... Uh, I don't leave. I don't know. A lot that. of people were doing that. Rory McDonald trains at TriStar, and the fighters were still training. 100%. Dude. Yeah. Uh, dude, we, 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 we missed a grand total of like 18 minutes during COVID lockdown. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not joking. It's, it's, it, 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 it's too important to me. And when you understand what the medicine of a jiu jitsu mat 
it, it, it has more it's it's more medicine than a pharmacy yeah. um to shut that off is is sacrilegious in my my viewpoint um i, I train I mean, you probably see Matt burn on my face because I so so the reason I'm in town is I came to the We Defy convention. Right, it's a gala where we raise money for military vets. So they had an open mat Friday night. They had an open mat Saturday day, and then Saturday night last night. So Shabaro have something to do with that? Shabaro, yeah. yeah. So I was on the mat with all of them Friday night, then all of the, all Saturday morning. So today's the only day I haven't trained, and Sweet. I'll we'll get home tonight. I'll train tomorrow. You know, it it's are there weeks that that go by that I don't train rare yeah like if there's if there's a full seven days that I don't train that's something's up you know whether I'm sick or I I had to travel and too much I couldn't but other than that you know probably excluding teaching just rolling man probably three hours a week minimum nice good you know and, and and it's really for me it's to be selfish you know but like if i was in town i'd be teaching from 10 a.m to 1 30 right now um and i i, I love it your kids train in jiu-jitsu and they also wrestle they wrestle yeah. and uh, jiu-jitsu yeah we we pretty much compete in wrestling um although we jiu-jitsu probably takes up more of our time but i just find that wrestling tournaments are closer to reality than a jiu-jitsu tournament. So although we teach jiu-jitsu, and I teach a very old school Hicks and Gracie style fighting, heavy pressure, right. you take blunt force trauma into consideration every position. Um, but we, for, for competition, we end up just doing wrestling tournaments. Yeah, my kids competed in jiu-jitsu for years and years and then started wrestling and started doing that. And wrestling is just a very different, uh, I get much more nervous for their wrestling matches and there's something to be gained, right? Like there's. You have to win this to get to this, to get to this, to yeah. get to that. Yeah. You know, jiu-jitsu, you can show up and compete. Like, I showed up in one Worlds three years in a row. Yeah. But I didn't do anything. I pans the year, the month before, but, like, I didn't do anything to qualify. I'm just yeah. there, and I'm now I'm three-time world champion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it is what it is, but, like, wrestling, that'll never happen. You know, you, you have to succeed and win matches to get to the next part. Yeah. You're not going to win anything. Yeah. You know, and in the process, you're getting murdered on the mat every yeah. day. You know, so I wish jiu-jitsu was a little more like that. Um, I love, obviously, I love jiu-jitsu and, and the sport itself and what it teaches you, but I wish the competition side of things was a little more structured like that, a little less money and a little more... I agree. Uh, I agree. There, there, I, I find that a lot of times jiu-jitsu is taught passively. Yeah. Um, and, you know, wrestling is... The competitive side of wrestling, due to the, due to the rule set, it's very aggressive. Oh, yeah. You have a finite amount of time. You have very limited ways you can win, so people are chasing it with violence, explosiveness, and grit and determination, and they're 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 redlined for the entire wrestling match. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu's like nothing, 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 nothing. Everything go oh no no back to nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing. Because because there are so many ways that you could lock me down, immobilize me, regain your cardio, and then slowly, methodically. So I I. I, I I wish there was a meeting of the minds somewhere yeah. in the middle. You know, when little kids show up to my gym with their parents, if they've never done anything, I never let them start with wrestling unless they they came specifically for wrestling, because if they do it, they might hate it and never yeah. come back. So I always have them do the little the kids kickboxing and jujitsu first, and then they can try wrestling. And that way, if they hate it, they know that they like the other two classes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. otherwise, you'll lose them quick, man, because yeah, wrestling's yeah. not for everybody. You know, I'll tell you, jujitsu I think is for everybody. Wrestling I don't think is. I think wrestling is Should if be. you get through a hump. Here's the yeah. deal. 
every kid I know, I don't give a shit how good they are, they cry and they hate it initially. Yeah. Every single kid. Even if they're, they win two and lose one. Dude, if you're a pitcher for a peewee, peewee baseball and you get five home runs hit on you, you sleep well at night, even as a kid. Yeah. Dude, you have another motherfucker your same size and weight pin you to the mat and you can't get up. You cry at the end of that. Oh, yeah. And that's a different thing. Every kid that I know that starts wrestling, they know, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't. But after you get through that hump, it's the only thing they want to do. That's it. Once they get through that hump and they realize, oh, no, the reason I didn't like it is because it, it, the, the stakes were so much higher. Right. Now when I realize the benefit and, you know, the, nothing feels as good as a victory with man-on-man combat. But conversely, nothing feels as bad yep. as man as a loss with man-on-man combat. So the Barry Center down in Houston, where where Texas State Championship has been for like the last six or seven years, there is a staircase, a stairwell, that I wanted to somehow legally set up a camera in, because kids come through that door, Cry. either bawling their eyes out or cheering, yep. and there will be a kid sitting on the ground crying on the phone. And a kid coming through the door, yeah. And a kid sitting around the corner on the stairs, yep. which was my kid once, crying. Yep. You know, and it is like the most emotional hallway. I stood in the hallway one day when I went down to check on Luke, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like it was crazy. And it was I was, <clears throat> I was there for maybe three minutes, and it was the there was eight matches going on out there, so there was multiple kids coming through as the matches ended, and everyone had a different emotion. And I was like, it is the craziest thing, because the stakes, like you said, are so high, and the lows, man, just like in MMA, are so low. Yep. And and a loss means something. A loss but if you is, get through that minefield, brother, yep. the rest of life is easy, man. Easy. It's easy, and people don't understand that. Yep. It's like, you know, you have a couple of hiccups, and a lot of people want to turn around and go home. But if you stay through that, and you get to the other side, man, it's just like, you know, I tell you, my, my game, the, the biggest influence on my game is Henry, Henry Aikens. Dude, I did, I don't know, he'll tell you, 5,000 privates with the dude. Yeah. I trained with him non-fucking-stop. Um, the biggest influence, but I'll tell you what that motherfucker used to do. I was a white belt. He was a purple belt. He wouldn't let you out from the mount. Like, not, not a submission, just mount. And I'd be tapping, and he'd, dude, you ain't tapping to that shit and fucking slapping me in the face. I'm like... And I'm so glad he's I went, so long, dude. I'm so <laughs> glad I went through that tunnel, you know, in the, I'll be honest with you, man. I was a grown man. And sometimes I'd get up after the round be over and I'm like, <clears throat> Flannery, you okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm good. And I wasn't good. Oh yeah. Dude. I was like on the verge of tears as a grown man and I would never want to do it again, but I'm so grateful that I went through that tunnel yep. of like, kept coming back. You know what I mean? You're not going to break me. Yep. You're not going to break me from just, you know, uncomfortable. I'll find a. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll find it's, a little. Yeah, a little like a breathing through a straw. I can, I can breathe. I can breathe. Yep. You know what I mean? There's a there's a there's a tiny millimeter of lifeline that I can see through, and I'm so grateful that I came through that tunnel. It's like when I tell my new students, like the most valuable thing I can give you, is the ability to survive under extreme duress. The second most important is to actually escape. Yep. You know, I tell, I tell my students the four milestones. The num- number one milestone, you want to be able to roll with your training partner for five minutes and stay alive. That's it. So you sign up. So you're going with a three-stripe white belt. You're brand new. You want to go five minutes with him and not get finished. Once you start doing that with practice regular- regularity, the second thing, now I'm rolling with him for five minutes. I'm not getting finished. And on occasion, I'm escaping bad positions. Once you start doing that with practice regularity, now I'm rolling with him for five minutes. I'm escaping all the bad positions. And on occasion, 
I'm positionally dominating him. Right. Then when you do that with practice regularity, that's when we throw a submission on it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Now you're staying alive. You're escaping all the bad. You're positionally dominate, and then you cap it off the, with a submission. But the most important for me Surviving. is not being broken without, an, without a, a joint lock or a choke. Just from panic, claustrophobic, holy fuck, I have to get out of this, but they won't let you. Yep. Finding your way through that tunnel. Then you can start to think of the technique to actually extricate yourself from a predicament. But until you can find that, that happy place, I don't give a shit what technique you have. It ain't working if you're panicking. And my, maybe, maybe I'm in the puss category, but holy shit, man, there was times where Henry would smother my ass and not, you ain't tapping to that shit. And I realized, dude, I just went like that and you pretty much said, fuck off. That ain't, yeah. a, that ain't a sub. And you had to, <laughs> you had to, <laughs> You had to go somewhere, and over the course of time, then you no longer had to go there. You just existed in that, I'm good, I'm yep. good. The most valuable thing I have through jiu-jitsu is that, man. I was claustrophobic when I first started, and me if too. anyone mounted me, I freaked out, yeah. man. And I just created a good guard <laughs> so no one's passing, yeah. you know, escapes right away. Um, and, and, you know, I had to go through, like in my fight camps, I was, I was the coach, you know, so it sucked. So yeah. I'd bring all my guys with me to Big Bear, and I would have to go round robin through everybody to get to a point where I'm getting beat. Yeah. And I had a guy named Alex Sergikov, a Russian kid who used to who trained me for a long time, and then was teaching at Fairtex. But he would get side control on me at the end of all this, all these rounds, and bro, killing me. And and literally, where it would happen two rounds in a row, you know, where it circle back to him when practice was over, I go sit in the back and. <laughs> Same thing like when I trained Marco Huas. He used mm -hmm. to beat me to death, dude. I would go in my bathroom and lay on the floor Fucking and huge. sob. Yeah. You know, and my brother's like, I think he needs to go to the emergency room. I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it's just, I lived, right? Yep. I lived. And, yep. and then I, you know, it, it changes you. It changes you dramatically uh, for life. Yep, for life. It's, it's the closest thing that I can think to torture is knowing that, that, they're not going to open a door and let you get out. Yeah. You got to go to a happy place and make it happen. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that motherfucker. And he could kill you. That Joe time. Rogan talks about it all the time. Yeah, I could kill you. Like it's literally, you, you kill the guy over and over and over and around yep. and just happen to let him out when he taps. Yep. Yep. You know, but it is, it is training to kill somebody yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and until you get past that where you're not getting killed every day, yeah. you know, it's like, woo! <laughs> and, and the mere flutter of your hand saves your yeah. life. Yep. You know? Yeah, wild. Awesome. Anything else? No, brother. I mean, so it's so grateful it's, to have you on the show, yeah. man. Dude, so dude, awesome. dude, honestly, man, it's it's uh you're 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 like my kids think, you know, my, my students think I'm an OG. Like they think I'm an OG. You're an OG. Ah, bro, bro. But it's only a few years dude, after me. Brother, when I started, there was a handful of OGs, it wasn't me. I was a white belt <laughs> dude when you were in ninety nine, what were you? I got my black at the end of 99. Black, but you fucking black belt at 99, yeah. dude. It's, so it's an honor. It's a privilege, man. I grew up watching all your fights. I certainly know every aspect of your career. More importantly, dude, what I see you doing with your boys is unparalleled. It's rare. It's honorable. And it's tangible. You can smell the authenticity in everything you do. And I, I honestly know that that is your life right down below you. I would give and, up every win I ever had for one fight camp with him just to go through that process and then, you know, wrestling and stuff with Tyler until he fights. As soon as we got, I told, I told everyone this story, when we got to Bellator and it was Lucas Brennan and then Chris Brennan and Rafael Casillas were little names underneath, mm -hmm. I was like, fucking made it. 
I you mean, made it, man. Dude, I'll that's, tell you, that's I'll tell you, when your offspring me. does something like that, yeah. and for that reason alone, you know, everybody wants a story behind a fighter to root for. You know, Conor McGregor made made a story whether you hated him or you loved sure. him or you, he made his own story, brother. For us, the reason that they know Luke Skywalker Brennan is because of my respect for you as a dad, not even as a fucking fighter. That's cool. I mean, it's cool as shit, but the fact that you went through all of that. And you ended up being that level of black belt dad, the level of black belt that'll even sit down your level of black belt in martial arts, which is hard to fucking sit down. Dude, that story makes us a fan. And there's no other reason. I follow your other son, who's a D1 college wrestler, an absolute stud. It's because of you. It's because of what I see you doing with your boys. And I, I think in that respect, I hope at least we're cut from the same cloth, dude, because that is my goal. That is all I want to do is make them the best individuals that they can, not just for performance and sports, sure. but better human beings. Like I, I use wrestling and jujitsu to make better human beings. I, I, I don't, I mean, if championships come, that's cool, but I know what this mat does. It makes people better. And I see you doing that on a daily basis. So dude, it's an honor and privilege to be here. I appreciate it. I want to come down and train. Anytime, brother. You're more than welcome. I'd like to bring you up here to do a seminar or something. Dude, awesome. it'd be an honor. It'd be my honor. Awesome. Thank you. You're very welcome, brother. It is all over. Just.